January 1st, 1995. On New Year's Day in 1995, Daisy Serval gave birth to Frosty and Personality. As you know, Frosty had the much coveted white feet and his sister did not. Daisy did not have white feet, nor did the father, whose name escapes me at the moment, as he died more than a decade ago. Even though this is the post from January 1st, 1995, because it was Frosty's and Personality's birthday, I actually wrote it in 2010. There were less than 15 reports of white-footed servals at the time of their birth. We could only verify the existence of three, and we knew all of the breeders because they were the only people we knew to turn to for advice back then. Frosty's birth and the fact that he survived to adulthood made him one of the most famous servals in the exotic pet owner world. We stupidly did not know the difference between rare and endangered, and we didn't know that the only way to get white feet on servals is through the same methods used to breed white tigers, which is inbreeding. We didn't know who Daisy's parents were and didn't know who her mate's parents were. We had gotten them from two different places and just assumed them to be unrelated. Exotic cats in the private trade mostly originated from zoos who were trying to keep it quiet that they were dumping wild animals out their back doors into private hands when they weren't cute and cuddly anymore. They didn't come with pedigrees, so none of the cats bred by the private sector have any conservation value, but we didn't know about that back then. What we were being told is how rare and celebrated white-footed servals should be and how they should be bred to preserve his species for all mankind. Nairobi was two years older than Frosty, but back then our cages were long dog kennel looking things up on concrete ewes. The concrete went like that. Each cage was two or three of those ewes long and half of the width. Next to Grace Ocelot, you can see the base of what used to be a cage that would be divided in half long ways to give the cat a little room to run, but they were only four feet wide each. We had pairs and trios of cats living in those tiny concrete floored cells that were roughly four feet wide by 24 feet long. Some of those cages were divided into four cages, so each would be four feet wide by either eight feet or 12 feet long. We were so proud of those cages because everywhere we had been, the cages were just pet taxis or barely larger and usually were absolutely disgusting. They were so filthy. USDA regulations only required that the animals be able to stand up and turn around in their cages. And what we had built for our cats was so far beyond the norm back then for private owners and for many zoos. Nairobi and Frosty shared one of those little cells together, and one day in May of 1997, we heard news from the den. Back then, the dens were fruit crates we had picked up from behind dumpsters. The common practice of exotic pet breeders is to leave the kittens with the mothers for the first three to ten days and then take them to bottle feed so that they would tolerate humans. When we pulled Tonga and Congo from the den, we just about fainted. They were white. Since no one had white servals, and the only other white serval that had ever been reported in Canada died when she was four days old, we figured they would grow out of it. 
We kept waiting for their coat color to change, but they never did. We thought that maybe it was because they were anemic. They were very sickly, and every day was just a gift to us if they pulled through. We still didn't know that it was inbreeding that caused the white coat, so we didn't know why they were so ill all the time. Congo died several years ago. When we first announced white servals to the world, we were met with disbelief and then with offers of as much as $75,000 each for them. That came at a time when I could barely feed our cats, and it would have been so easy to justify selling one or both of them, but by then I had figured out that these animals are not designed for life in cages and was doing all I could to stop the trade. My father came to work with us in 1996 and built the first of our nice cages. He began to replace the old concrete cells with the cages you see today. And as an aside, those cages are 1,200 square feet to 1,800 square feet per section. I had begun sneaking male cats out to Dr. Stacy Wadsworth when Don would go to Costa Rica for a week because I had already figured out that people weren't giving these cats forever homes. It's hard to tell when a male has been neutered because they aren't shaved and they don't require stitches. I tried to start with the bigger cats first as they were the least suitable pets. I lost Don in August of 1997 and at that time was dealing with two very sickly white servals, Congo and Tonga, and Katera Bobcat, who was deathly sick for the first year of his life, and Hercules Snow Leopard, Jade Leopard, Armani Leopard, Aspen Cougar, Cleo Cougar, Rusty Caracal, Rose Caracal, and Elijah the Caracal who died, and all of those guys were kittens at the time. Perfection Ocelot and Persistence Ocelot, and you know what, I think I was wrong, I think that was Cleo Bobcat. And I'm going to change that because Cleo Cougar came to us as an adult and I had just put in what species they were today because I realized that back when I wrote this in 2010, I did not put in their species. Perfection Ocelot and Persistence Ocelot were a year old, but it had been, but had been on daily doses of interferon, which is what they give AIDS patients for all of their immune system issues. Jamie was 16 and finished up high school early to help me deal with all of the chaos, and she began taking over a lot of the kitten care. Within a few months of Don's disappearance, USDA sued us and threatened to revoke our license if we didn't pay $25,000. Their complaint stated that we had rust on the bottom of a fox pen, and because we had two foxes who had been raised together, but one killed the other one day, one day for no apparent reason. They said that we were keeping animals in incompatible, incompatible pairs based upon that death. Because Don disappeared, all of our assets were seized and held by the courts for the next six years. I couldn't afford an attorney to fight the bogus USDA lawsuit, so I started calling everyone who had ever been here and asked everyone who came to fill out an affidavit attesting to the good conditions here. I gathered and submitted more than 2,000 affidavits. USDA dropped their suit, and I learned a valuable lesson about letters to lawmakers. My father continued building cages as fast as I could afford them, 
but the courts only allowed me 125000 per year to fund the sanctuary that had an annual budget of closer to $500,000. We had less than 400 visitors in 1997, so that wasn't generating any money for cages. I also continued to neuter cats as quickly as I could, but the surgeries and the new cages were all expenses above and beyond the money that I had available to me. All I could do was sell off my personal possessions to keep the cats fed. The last thing in the world I wanted was another baby mouth to feed. But some cats were already pregnant, and some were bound to get that way before I could get them into new cages. We built all kinds of makeshift walls to try and keep them apart, but in a few cases the cats still managed to outsmart us. That's why Pharaoh Serval was born in April of 1999. His parents, Nairobi and Frosty, were still housed together. In their case, I thought that I had long ago neutered Frosty, so I wasn't in as big a hurry to separate them as our bigger cats. His medical records said that he had been neutered, but either it didn't work or it was being attributed to the wrong cat. Pharaoh was even more of a shocker to us, since I didn't think I had to worry about Frosty and Nairobi. I learned a valuable lesson about record keeping that day. This is part of why we don't talk about cats being born here for the most part. It is very hard to go into the detail necessary to explain why we did something 11 years ago that we would be ashamed to do now. If we just say the cats were born here and don't explain it, then people go away thinking that it must be okay to breed these cats for life in cages because they fell in love with us and they figured we wouldn't have done something wrong. As tour guides know, it can be hard for you, especially if you have some breeder or dealer on your tour who wants to make a big deal out of it, to give the in-depth information that is necessary. We posted our history and evolution on our website many years ago to make it easy for visitors to get all of the information. You can always refer them to search history and evolution on our website for details. And since then, there's been a sign in the tour waiting area all these years that talks about it. And when we uh, transitioned over to a automated system, instead of tour guides giving the tours, they just push the button and play the cat's tours. And on there, we talk about our um, history and evolution as well. So that is a very long answer to the question about how it is that Pharaoh and Tonga are brothers with birth dates two years apart. This story was written in 2010 to the volunteers at Big Cat Rescue.